Red. Well, you're up late. What are you listening to? Oh, uh, uh, Vivaldi. Il Cimento dell'Armonia. I particularly like hey, the last Hey, hey, what's that? Oh, just a remote. Oh, uh, this. Yes, uh... Popular love songs. Look. Oh, hey. You fell for the princess. She's... She's like me, creature from another world. You need to get out more. She's alone in the world. I want to help her. I need to care for her. You're in love. Have a beer. Oh, my body is a temple. Well, now it's an amusement park. No, no, no. The glandular balance. Just shut up and drink it, would you? What track? Eight. Can't. Smile without you. I know. Yep, I'm gonna need a beer too. Well, you see, I love this song. And I can't smile or cry. I think I have no tear ducts. I wish Father were here. He'd know what to tell you. Us. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, then uh, you've heard today's guest before, but this is his first time on the main show, and that's Kay Wilson. Kay, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so the Patreon people have already have already met you, but uh, for the people who aren't on the Patreon page, well, first off, if you're not subscribed to the Patreon, then please go ahead and do that. Um, but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself for those people? Sure. I am the host and DM of the podcast Call Us Casters. It is an actual play D&D podcast about superheroes, and we've been having a lot of fun with it. Okay. And... Um, we talked a little bit about that on the Patreon show, but uh, just so um, to, to get the, the new people a little bit more aware of you, uh, what's kind of like your history with, um, you know, podcast, not podcasting, um, comic books, superhero stuff, all that kind of thing. 
So I grew up on superheroes, especially the WB shows like Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, Batman, Batman Beyond, all of those. Um, and I have always loved superheroes since I watched my first superhero show, which I think was Static Shock. Um, I didn't get into comic books until I was maybe like 2021. 20, and it was really because back then there wasn't a lot of superhero media going on. And so it was just a way for me to get into more superhero stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, what comics were the ones that kind of started you off? So one of the first ones I actually read was Bounce, which is what we talked about on your Patreon. Right. Um, and then DC. I've always been into DC more than Marvel. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense from, um, you know, if you're, especially if you're coming in from uh, Justice League and the WB shows and all that. Right. Um, and I think that that seems to be pretty consistent with um, with myself and and with most people. Like I came in through through X Men more than anything, and that got me into comics and um, the, the X Men animated series. That is, and I've I leaned heavily Marvel when I was early in my comics collecting. And even though I love DC now, I I, I read both equally now. There still is that you know you, know, you that still is that you know I still kind of drift more towards Marvel a little bit more because of that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm the same way. I will read Marvel comics, but I always just go towards DC, especially like a few certain characters. Yeah. The the one exception for that are, are Superman and Batman because those were my first superheroes. So those are like the exceptions that I'll, I'll always drift more towards them. But other than that, it is generally a little bit more of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, more like more of a draw or something towards mm -hmm. Marvel. Yeah, for sure. I get that. Um, but today we're talking about something that's not Marvel nor DC, and that is uh, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, the uh, the sequel to Guillermo del Toro's, um, you know, first, I think Hellboy was, even though he had done Blade 2 before that, he had done some other stuff before that, I think Hellboy is really kind of the movie that that really kind of put him on the map, really kind of established him as a director to, to pay a lot of attention to. I mean, that's not knocking Blade 2. I, I love Blade 2, but I think Hellboy was was something really unique and special um, that really kind of um, spoke to people a lot more than Blade 2 did. Yeah, I, I would agree um, with Blade 2. I feel like it wasn't as popular as Hellboy was. Mm. Um, so it definitely brought Guillermo to more of an audience. Well, yeah, I think Blade 2 was also heavily overshadowed because that came out, if I'm remembering correctly, that came out the same year as Spider-Man, I think. Oh, did it? I think so, yeah. So lots of <laughs> definitely being overshadowed by that because that was like the, the that and it was just such a monumental film for, for superhero movies that, you know, Blade 2 couldn't even come close to competing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so... Yeah, you know, we're not going to talk. Spend too much time on uh, on the original movie, but um, I don't. For for me, I had never I had heard of Hellboy before I saw the movie, and um, but I didn't. I had never read any of his comics, so when I went to see the movie, it was something that was you know, on uh, I, I loved it right from right. I fell in love with the character and with the world right from the start. Uh, how about you? What was your introduction to Hellboy? Were your were do you come in from the the movies or did you come in through the comics? Definitely through the movies. Um, I had never heard of Hellboy until it came out um, as a movie. And, but same thing, you know, the character designs and the way that the characters interact with each other and the world, it, it drew me in. I liked mm -hmm. it a lot. 
And uh, have you ever read any of the comic books since then? I haven't, no. Okay, okay. I've read some of them, and they're good, don't get me wrong, but I think the the movies really kind of brought the world to to life in a way that the comics never quite did for me. I mean, I, maybe I just, maybe just have to sit down and reread them, but, um, but yeah, I felt like the movies really kind of spoke to me in a different way. And I think a lot of that has to do with del Toro's direction, but also the casting in these movies Mm -hmm. is just, you know, Ron Perlman, you can't beat Ron Perlman. Mm -hmm. He's just, he's just so perfect, perfectly made for that role. For sure. Doug Jones too. Doug Um, Jones. Yeah. Abe. You know, he, I mean, he's always great at playing characters that are not human, Mm -hmm. Um, but those two together. And then with um, Selma Blair, she did really well with that. That was a really great trio. Yeah, definitely. They, they really, they really set the tone uh, for the first movie. Although um, they did a little bit of a change in, in, uh, in this movie, because even though Doug Jones, you know, played, um abe sapien in both uh in the first one his voice was overdubbed by david hyde pierce from uh from frazier and uh and it's funny because the whole reason that the producers wanted david hyde pierce in the first movie was because he had um he had a little bit more name recognition he had a little bit more clout um so they were hoping that having him credited in the movie would get more people interested in it and then uh pierce kind of um pulled one over on them because he said well you know all i did was come in and read some lines but doug jones really did all the work so doug jones deserves all the credit so i'm not taking a credit for the movie (laughs) and so when they came around to doing this one um now it doesn't say this specifically but i think what happened was they kind of figured okay well if we're paying David Hyde Pierce and he's not, and we can't use his name, then why are we paying David Hyde Pierce? Right. So let's just go with Doug Jones, and let him do it all. And I'm not sure how you felt. Like I thought Doug Jones was perfectly fine as the voice, but I did. Every time I watch this movie, I do find myself missing uh, Hyde Pierce's voice a little bit. See, I don't know. I'm a huge Doug Jones fan and I, I can't, I can't say that he's better, but I probably prefer him. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's just because I I love David Hyde Pierce in, in Frasier. So, yeah, and I thought he had brought a nice little, I don't know, something about the way he delivered those lines in the first movie. And uh, it, it was, I thought he did a really excellent job. So I was a little bit shell-shocked when I when I watched this movie and it, and it wasn't his voice. Um but yeah, like I said, it's not that Doug Jones did a bad job or anything. I thought he did a, he did a great job. I just my personal thing was I just kind of missed David Hyde Pierce in this role. That's fair. <laughs> um, so besides that, uh, and this is kind of an interesting thing because although the first Hellboy movie was uh, took a lot of inspiration from the comics, it was um, they'd kind of melded some different comics together to to kind of piece together the main story. This movie basically didn't do that instead what it was was it was um basically uh they had the world already established and del toro you know mike mignola he basically told del toro well you know what just go ahead and write your own original story with these characters and that's basically what he did so the whole thing about the golden army uh prince nuada all of that stuff is completely from um del toro's imagination and i think we really kind of see uh del toro's love of 
of fantasy really kind of come through in this movie in a way that um, wasn't as prevalent in the first movie, I felt. Yeah, I would agree, especially with the character design. Mm -hmm. Uh, The character design is very Guillermo. You know, it it could almost be in the same universe as Pan's Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. And that character design and that choice to have all of those different characters in the world that are different from what you experienced with the first Hellboy, I think that was a really good choice. And I think it made it a lot more interesting. Yeah, I definitely noticed um, there were some similarities. Like watching this movie, I definitely got some vibes of, oh yeah, that looks like the that one character from Pan's Labyrinth. Oh yeah, yeah I recognize that design. Or even the um, the tooth fairies in this, mm-hmm. right? Because this movie came out before, well, both of them came, they both, it came out before both Pan's Labyrinth and uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. But when we saw the tooth fairies in this, because it's been years since I've seen this, and uh, I don't know, I think maybe the last time I saw it was before Don't Be Afraid of the Dark came out. So, mm. so when I'm rewatching it again last night, I'm like, oh, I see what he did. He, he basically yeah. reused that same design for the for the for the fairies in Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, or something kind of very much inspired by it. Yeah, definitely. I think that that time period for him was very, very much that aesthetic for Mm -hmm. him. Yeah, definitely. Um, So what did you think overall of the of the story? So the story was okay. Um, I enjoyed it because it is a really interesting story. You know, this huge army that was from ages past. Um, But I do feel like with the interactions between Hellboy and the prince and with the princess. I feel like sometimes it got a little muddled, especially with the quote unquote love story between the um, Noella princess and Abe. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little lackluster for me, but for the most part, I did enjoy it. And I feel like the humor in it is very, very typical 2008 like it, it fits there so mm-hmm. i still enjoyed it even if i thought the story could be a little better so i'm guessing you think um if comparing these two you'd say the first one is better than yeah yeah see i'm i'm kind of conflicted on that because i definitely agree with you i think the i think the story is is definitely weaker overall than the first movie um and i found myself not really as interested in prince nuada as as a villain as I was in Rasputin, who was, you know, amazing in the first movie. Um, but I think the character work in this movie was was such a step up from the first movie that I think that that's where it kind of shines through a little bit more for me. And and the first movie, yeah, as much as I love it, I do think that it, it's very much kind of stuff we've seen before. So I, I, I've got an admiration of this movie for kind of swinging for the fences a little bit and showing us some new stuff, like the whole thing about the troll market and all that, mm-hmm. and this whole kind of underground, um, I don't know what you call it, like mythological world that exists under, like, I love that aspect of it too. Like the whole thing when, um, when Hellboy and, and Abe are walking around the, the, the troll market and he's on the comms with Liz and he says like, it's like, you know, nobody nobody nobody's scared of us we blend right in here and it's just like he's totally shocked that there's this entire other world that exists that he never knew about um and that aspect of it i thought was pretty cool and uh something you don't see a lot because the first movie it gave us a lot of stuff that 
you know, okay, so there's this supernatural, this supernatural guy and, but he exists in the real world. He has to hide and he's like the only magical thing in this Mm -hmm. other, in this real world setting. Um, And for this movie to kind of establish this other world existing, it's, it was um, a little bit unique for the time. Like you didn't see a lot of that kind of stuff in um, the mid late aughts. Yeah, you're right. And I think with the character development too of um, Hellboy and of Liz, Mm -hmm. I think they rounded the characters out a lot more. Um, I, you know, the scene with the Earth God when Hellboy kills it, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a pretty touching moment because he kills it and he feels regret right away, but he knows he had to do it. And then as soon as he's back with all of the people, he doesn't feel welcome. And then just a few minutes later, they go to the... um, the market and he feels he feels welcome he feels like one of them um which was a really nice character development for him and it was a it was perfectly in line with the first movie because sometimes you get Mm -hmm. to to sequels and what happens with a lot of sequels is they'll kind of you know even though even though they it's not like they're redoing they're ignoring the first movie happened they will kind of redo some of the the same character development like they'll kind Mm -hmm. of regress the character a little bit and then they'll just kind of have them go through the same character journey more or less even though the story's different um this movie has a definite character progression from the first one like because the yeah. first one he's the whole thing about the first one is you know he's just kind of like this regular guy but who's who's not allowed to go outside and he's and he just he wants to go outside he wants to to be able to to go out and be in the real world and be around people and all that and and he gets his wish here and yeah and and for a moment, right? He's happy, right? There, there, are people are asking him to. He, he signs autographs. <laughs> um, Jeffrey Tambor's Manning mentions that you know he posed for this one, and then he signed autographs after. And then, yeah. um, and when he first comes out here, you know, everyone's like asking him questions, like, "Oh, hellboy, hellboy!" And he's watching TV. He is so happy. And then you get the twist, and the twist is when after he he kills the forest god and every and he's holding the baby. And everyone's like, he's like, give the baby back, give the baby back. It's like, it's like, I'm, I'm just, I just saved the baby's life. What are you right. doing? And just like his total shock at how, um, and how different he's being treated because of that. And I thought that definitely played in. And this is an aspect that I felt was maybe not handled as well. Um, was Nuada's kind of taunting of Hellboy and saying like, well, look at how they're treating you, right? You know, mm-hmm. you're one, you're one of us. You're not one of them. And I felt like that aspect was kind of overshadowed a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, but I'm I'm glad you mentioned that that scene with the forest guy because I I felt the same thing. Like, um, I I I I genuinely I thought that and because it's it's funny because you look at that and it's like, well, obviously he's got to kill it. It's a f- giant monster that's tearing apart the city. But at the same time, Guillermo del Toro, and I think this is a skill he has because del Toro clearly loves, he's got a love and affection for, for monsters, right? I think that's mm-hmm. basically what Shape of Water was, right? It's all about loving right. the monster, literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, and even in, in Pan's Labyrinth, right? It's the, the real monsters in that aren't the, the, the strange creatures with who are missing eyes and everything. The real monsters are the fascists. Right. Um, so seeing that that really kind of he that kind of you see that kind of theme here where he's able to show this make you feel sympathy for the the forest god 
that has no human attributes whatsoever. And I thought they did a really good job of that. Yeah, I agree. I also really like how they treated Liz's character Mm -hmm. uh, because in the first movie, you know, she was this tortured, confused person who was so afraid of her powers. And then in this movie, she was, she had a lot more personality. She had feelings, she had goals and she got more control of her powers. And I really appreciated that that development from the first movie to the second movie with her as well. Yeah, um, and it, it's also touching on things that she felt because her thing was, I've always been treated like a freak and, mm-hmm. you know, and she's warning him. She's like, you know, I don't like people staring at me. And that's kind of like her warning to him that you don't know what it's like when you're different. Yeah. Um, and, and then that pays off in that beautifully in that scene when they're, the crowd is turning on them and she's like, and she's getting angry because, you know, and it's not so much for her. It's because she, you know, she knows, you know, she knows that Hellboy was a little bit naive, but still it's she. And even though they've been having this kind of, and that's one of the things I love about their relationship in this movie is, you know, even though they're squabbling, as soon as it comes time to do the mission, right. She's boom. They're, they're right in professional mode. Yeah, absolutely. And the scene where they're in the mansion fighting the tooth fairies and she's about to blow up and she tells Hellboy to get away from the window while she's doing this crazy thing. She's also protecting Hellboy from mm-hmm. from the outside world. Yeah, that's a good point. I never really picked up on that, but you're right. And that also plays off later when in the crowd scene, when she's kind of like, she's like flaming up in front of them and he has to pull yeah. her and he has to hold her back, right. which is also kind of funny because it's, you know, it's the, eh, what's a good way to, to phrase this? Um, I, I can think, I, I can think about how being in an interracial, interracial relationship myself and that kind of thing, like, but me being in Japan where I'm the minority um, sometimes when something happens, it'll be my wife who gets more angry about it than me because, and I, and I, you see that play off here in this, in this scene where, you know, Liz is, you know, the quote unquote normal one or the normal passing one. And she's the one who's getting even angrier than Hellboy is in that scene. Right. For sure. Um, well, uh, so one of the other things, and this is another part that I noticed, um, I didn't pick up on this at first because. I loved what app I loved how Jeffrey Tambor worked in the first movie. And when I watched this movie at first, I felt like they had kind of regressed his character. They'd kind of undone the, um, the kind of development that he had gone through in the first movie, because he ended that first movie where he's obviously got like some kind of respect for Hellboy. Mm -hmm. But in this movie, then it starts off and they're antagonists antagonistic towards each other right again. And the first time I watched this movie, I thought, well, that's weird because they, they, had, but then when I rewatched it last night, I was thinking like, oh, I see, because it's not necessarily that it's not an erasure of that relationship, but it's kind of a different kind of an evolution of it because he seems really hurt that Hellboy's not following his orders. Like that, that scene at the beginning when he's, he's talking to Abe and he shows him the target practice sheets. And he's like, do you know how that makes me feel? And Jeffrey Tambor sounds like he's actually, you know, been hurt by that. Yeah, for sure. And there's that scene where he's watching TV, where everyone's talking about Hellboy and he's talking bad about Jeffrey and that he just walks right up and, it is like, hey, and there's that scene of like 
that awkward, oh, I was just talking bad about someone that I'm supposed to be respectful towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was, although I did think it was weird that um, Hellboy didn't take it. Maybe it's not weird, but I just thought it was funny that he didn't take his, he didn't take Manning's advice from the first movie. Because if you remember the first movie, um, one of the ways that they connected was over their love of cigars. And he sees uh, Hellboy lighting the cigar with a, with a lighter. And he's like, stop that. What are you doing? Don't do that. And he says, you have to use a wood match because it preserves the flavor. And then and then here, Hellboy's back to using his lighter. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Um, what did you think of Abe's development in this movie? So I think it goes along the same way as the other two main characters is that, you know, he has some growth from the other movie because in the other movie, even though with a different voice actor from the other movie, he's not very personable. He's more fact oriented from what I remember. Mm -hmm. And then in this one, he is much more friendly towards Hellboy. And I do see that friendship between the three of them. Um, And then with him getting that romance with the princess. Although I wasn't a big fan of it, I do see how it does fit into that motif of feeling accepted, finding people that that appreciate you for you, no matter what you look like or who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciated that. Um, so yeah, I really liked his character and I liked his, his growth. Yeah. Um, yeah, same here. Uh, one of the things I did like is one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the scene when him and Hellboy get drunk. <laughs> yeah. I, that, that's just, that was a, that was a perfect example of, um, and that's one of the things I love about some of these movies is that it, it, you know, all the, the special effects stuff, all the fight scenes, all that is great. You know, I love watching that stuff. Don't get me wrong. But I also just love seeing, you know, these these characters. I love these moments where these characters just talk to each other. And that's a really great scene. And really one of the examples of what elevates this movie in terms of character over the first one for me. Yeah, that makes sense, especially because these conversations, they're not exposition. They're talking about their their inner selves. They're talking about their feelings, um, which is it was really nice, especially in a movie that is about a very powerful outward threat mm-hmm. they're still they're still focusing on on the inner part too right and it's it's another example of a great way of again that character progression because mm-hmm. a lot of times in 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 superhero movies at least ones of this era um the romance the the character's romance um doesn't really progress in the same way it's usually it's been halted in some way or it just like, for example, Spider-Man and Mary Jane, right? It, it just kind of stops at the end of the first movie. And then, you know, Peter spends the whole movie kind of pining for her and they've got this little back and forth. And, and then in the third movie, it, again, it's, it's the same kind of problems we see in all three movies, basically. Um, or in like the Batman movies where the love interest just disappears completely at the end of the movie. And then we get a new one for the, for the sequel um so i did like how they had they had progressed the, their relationship here because they are together now and now it's like okay yes we wanted to be together but now we got to live with each other and that's right. a different story yeah for sure now we have to deal with problems that every relationship goes through mm-hmm. and i and i love that aspect like that first scene when we see them and they're and they're fighting um and you know 
and Hellboy's just so because he's always been basically a big kid. He's always been taken care of. So I thought that was it was funny when she's just kind of like, this place is a mess. I can't find anything. And, you know, you know, my toothbrush is is it is in fucking cat food. And, you know, I don't have any space of my own, basically. And I thought that was, uh, again, a great way of bringing in this very human element to this otherwise fantastic story. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it matches with the whole thing with Hellboy's just a regular dude. He's mm-hmm. just a regular guy. And so he deals with things that regular guys deal with. Like, for instance, you move in with your girlfriend and your girlfriend is complaining that she doesn't have any room for her toothbrush. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, it's such a human moment. Mm. Well, and again, that I think the, the opening scene also helps tie that in because, you know, he's just this little kid in the 1950s who wants to watch Howdy Doody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, although funny note about that about that scene is even though he's it wasn't a little kid it was actually like the the actor who played young hellboy was actually like a 37 year old woman really yeah so i thought that was i just read that in the trivia uh last night so i thought that was a funny little note about it um so then we also get a new addition to the um the BPRD here in the for, form of uh, Johan Kraus. Uh, what did you think of, of this guy? I like Johan. He's he's a funny character. Um, even though he is trying to bring order to the team, he's a funny character and he's fun to watch. Um, especially his powers and his situation, um, which they don't explain too much in the movie. You mm-hmm. kind of have to look it up to really see what's going on with him. Um, but I think he's a fun addition to the team um one thing that i thought was i don't know strange something that felt out of character was at the end of the movie when he quit along with the rest of them it it didn't feel like you know he was i don't know i did i feel like it didn't match with his character yeah i did like that he joined them but i did i i get i definitely see your point and i think there was there could have been a little bit more groundwork laid earlier on for that eventual Mm -hmm heel turn because as it stands it does feel a little bit out of left field i mean he does have that whole speech about how you know you know one i had this i had this person i loved and everything and you know that's why i'm doing this but we should have i feel like we should have gotten some hint of that earlier on right especially because they there's a fairly long scene of him talking to hellboy about his his anger and his attitude and and how he needs to change that um and yeah, there was a lot of humor in that, but that set up that character to be a stickler almost, mm. you know, someone who who is is a rule, a rule person. And then you know, there, I didn't feel like there was much development to do that to do that turn. Yeah, although I yeah I agree. Um, overall, I did like him, but I definitely agree with your point. I think that's 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 a weakness that wasn't quite handled very well. Um, I I love the way they made him look though, like and I, they and I know that's what he looked like in the comics, but they, you know kudos to them because again this is before cgi became as big as it did and i think del toro does a really great job in these movies of using cgi when he needs to but not over relying on it and so he does a really good job of blending the cgi with the practical yeah for sure i would agree and his character design was was great um like the the little crab pincers Mm -hmm. at the edge where the dome is, you know, everything about him, I, I really liked. And I, I also like that he, one of his purposes in this movie is to kind of take Hellboy down a peg um, mm-hmm. because Hellboy's always been like, you know, the star of the BPRD, the whole thing's like built around him basically. 
and here comes this guy who um, Manning is sucking up to and who is, and it's not, and so he's not only, he doesn't only have that professional clout, but he's also got the, he's also got the chops to, to, you know, give Hellboy a run for his money. Because like you said, right. that, that locker room scene, when he's, he's basically beating the crap out of Hellboy and humiliates yeah. him. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I like that aspect. Uh, what did you think of Seth MacFarlane doing the the voice? Uh, that surprised me when I saw that in the credits. And sorry, go. So I was um I I lost my train of thought. Uh, but go ahead. Yeah, I I was surprised too. I did not realize that was Seth MacFarlane, and he did a really good job. I think you know the fact that one you didn't know that it was him, and two it was very well acted. Which I mean, he's not a bad actor, but it, it was hmm. very well acted. I think it's funny. Um. Because when I first saw this movie, and if you had told me back then that it was Seth MacFarlane, I didn't find out until after I saw the movie. Um, and back then, you know, we we didn't even though he he'd done a lot of the voices on Family Guy and American Dad and all that, and mm-hmm. we didn't really view him as an actor per se. Um, but then you see him in something like The Orville, and it's like, oh wow, right. this guy actually does have some acting chops. Yeah, he's got some chops. <laughs> See, I liked him. Uh, although it's funny, they had originally planned to use uh, Thomas Kreshman for the role, who he had played um, Baron von Strucker in uh, Age of Ult- Avengers: Age of Ultron, and he was, um, uh, he was, I think he was Damaskinos in Blade Two, the mm. the main the main vampire villain. Um, so they had originally gotten him because he actually, I think he actually is German, uh, but then. Del Toro felt like his voice wasn't quite the right fit for it. Uh, I'm curious what that would have been like. I'm curious if there's any any footage out there of of Kreshman's voiceover doing it. And apparently, when Seth MacFarlane first did the did it, when he first recorded his lines, he recorded them. He recorded his lines like basically three times. He recorded them first in like his you know his Peter Griffin voice, and then he recorded it in his in another voice, which was. Um, not quite distinctive enough. And then after that, he did it with the German accent. So, you know, he really put in some work on this, on that voice work. Yeah, for sure. And it definitely paid off. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, voice work, because Doug Jones also did the, um, the angel of death. Yeah. And, uh, and I didn't notice this, but it, it's cool when you watch the movie, because his, his, his voice has kind of like this ethereal quality to it. The reason is because he recorded his lines twice for that one in just his regular voice and one in like a higher pitch tone. And then they blended them together when they, when they, um, when they made the, when they finished the movie. Oh, that's really interesting. That makes sense. Cause you definitely want to be able to tell that it was him. Um, at least I, I couldn't until I saw the IMDB for it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that makes sense then. Cause it was definitely a, a really unique voice. Definitely. Yeah. Um, see uh what other things kind of stood out to you with uh this film i think for me you know we we've touched on it but the character design Mm -hmm. and of course hellboy has a really good that was guillermo too but it has a really good basis for it and then the new characters that they brought in you know chamberlain the new characters are just so well done. Mm-hmm. And like you said, there's that that practical effects there that just works so well. 
And I, I really appreciated all of the look and especially the inner chamber of um, where the um, Golden Army is held. Mm -hmm. it, beautiful. It was so beautiful. And even though they made it look old and, you know, ancient, it still looked regal. It still looked mm. magnificent. And I, I think that was really well done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, no notes on that, but absolutely the same thing on that. Uh, what about the uh, the the Golden Army as a whole? What do you think of the of the titular that we haven't talked at all about the 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 titular um, and enemies in the movie? But what do you think about the Golden Army? I think it was a little lackluster. You know, I think they looked cool. Um, I really like their design, but I feel like, and maybe I'm so used to like Marvel movies today mm -hmm. that are always just bigger than life. But I feel like there could have been more threat than just, oh, we have to stop this before anything happens. It could have definitely been played out as, oh, we have to stop this because this is happening right now. Yeah, I thought it was, and they're built up so much in the beginning. Right. You know, they're they're the subtitle of the movie. So I did think it was a little anticlimactic in the end mm -hmm. to see. We, I mean, that fight scene we get with them is 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 great, and I especially loved um, Kraus. You know, taking control of one of them. Uh, yeah. And then we get kind of like a, a rock'em sock'em robots vibe with yeah. that. <laughs> um, but mostly, yeah, I, I felt the same thing. It's you know, I, I also liked uh, the little callbacks Hellboy has to his own childhood when he when they first mentioned the Golden Army and he says Howdy Doody and it, or then yeah. later when he's uh, when he when he breaks it apart and he's like Industable my ass. Yeah, yeah, I think it could have done a lot better if it was a threat that people recognized. Of course, there is something to say with how Hellboy works and this is that they work in the shadows, they work behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I feel like it could have helped with the character development of this person wants to be accepted by the public and what better way than this huge public thing that happens where the Golden Army is attacking a city or something like that and Hellboy is the one clearly to stop them. Yeah, I think that's, that's one of the things. And I think this is kind of one of the weaknesses of this movie because this was intended to be the second part of a trilogy and then mm. the third movie was going to involve like a more apocalyptic event and like Hellboy like having to choose between you know humanity or his destiny and I really think that the movie is kind of weakened by that because they set up this whole thing about Hellboy's conflict between humanity or this fantastic realm you know, and where does he belong? And, and I agree, I think, because once the movie, once they leave the BPRD and they go into this fantasy world, the movie seems to lose some momentum, I felt mm -hmm. like, at least as far as the characters go. And, and even though we get that great scene with, with Liz and the Angel of Death, after that, it's, it is just kind of like, you know, it is just kind of like, you know, let's slug it out now. And, and that that character stuff, it just it just kind of falls away. We're not really, yeah. we don't really see a lot of that come back anymore. Yeah, I agree. And uh, talking about anticlimactic, the very end when right before they get out of the chamber, and they there's like a thirty second scene of all of the golden army shutting down, way too drawn out for the end of a movie. I mm -hmm. I, I hated that scene. That was probably my least favorite favorite scene of the whole movie. 
Yeah, I definitely felt that the, the third act is definitely it's this is this movie has a definite third act problem, mm-hmm. um, especially because the. You know, also, too, another thing is. It the movie's called Hellboy 2. The whole point is like the main character has to is the one who's, who should be resolving the conflict here. But Hellboy doesn't. Right. I mean, they That's make this true. whole thing about this challenge he makes and the fact that he's royalty as well. But in the end, it's not he. It that challenge is basically just a, a waste of time until Nuala finally gets the courage to stab herself. Right. Yeah. There, there is definitely no agency. Like they could have just went along and let him do the thing, and Nuala probably would have killed herself anyways. So, yeah. Go ahead. Basically, basically, no, no, no. I love what you're saying. Basically, the whole. But what you said there triggered me because I was thinking, like, basically, the whole third act is Hellboy loses complete agency because. It's Liz who takes him in there. Liz who makes the decision to, you know, to heal him and all that. And then, yeah, he makes the challenge, but the challenge is basically meaningless because it yeah. doesn't solve anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it was it was such a weakness because I think as well, like it's not even Abe making the decision, right? Like I can understand, like if there's some reason where, um there's no choice being made by any of the main characters except for Liz. And I think that's, that's a real weakness in that third act that I didn't quite pick up on until, until we started talking about it. Um, I mean, even if it's, you know, Nuala can't kill herself, right. If there's some magic reason or something that she can't kill herself or like maybe because they're connected, Nuwada is able to prevent her from, from doing that or, or something like that, right. Some sort of, you know, some sort of dumb reason why she can't do it. And then Abe's the one who has to do it. That would be, that would have made it more dramatic. That would have given it more impact, I felt. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it would have made the romance subplot mean something and Mm -hmm. and actually have a place in the movie where I feel like it doesn't now. Agreed, agreed, yeah. Um, So speaking of that, what did you think of uh, Nuala? She was pretty good, pretty good. Um, I've talked a lot about character design and, you know, I feel like Nuala and Nuada, they they could have been a little bit more alien looking, I guess. Mm-hmm. They're just people with white paint on, you know. Um, I feel like her character, how she worked with her character was good. Um, but again, as with the whole golden golden army thing looked good was a little lacking i Mm kind of wanted more you know um especially with the romance again going to the romance up lot it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't great she she wasn't great in that i feel like she did make good acting choices and i feel like her character Mm -hmm. was used fairly decently um but I don't know. It could have been better. How it could have been better? I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of the design, I mean, even if you did, because if you compare it to their father, King Balor, like he had a great design. Like he had yeah. the the the, silk, the mechanical hand and everything. He had like kind of like the roots coming out of his head. Um, also, just a little note, uh, Roy Deltrice played the character. And I, I'm not sure if you're uh, if you ever watched Angel on TV, um, the Buffy spinoff. I did, yeah. Okay, so he played um, Wesley's father in the fifth season of Angel in one episode. Oh, okay. 
And, and that's why, that's where I recognized him from. Cause I was staring at this guy and I'm like, I know I've seen him before. And then I just, I looked it up afterwards and found out that was one of the things he did. Um, so that was just a little note. Cause I loved Angel. Uh, but, but yeah, when it came to Nuada and Nuala, the design agreed, like I said, it, they could have done something a little bit more, given them something a little bit extra. And I just felt like their characters, it, it felt kind of stock, right? It didn't feel like it, it, it yeah. was, it didn't give us anything different, right? We get the, you know, we get the, you know, the prodigal son, the, the prince who's, you know, feels wronged by his father and betrays, and betrays him. And then we've got the, the sister who's still being loyal to the father. It, it felt like very traditional kind of fantasy family values type stuff. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And with the relationships and the characters that are in this world, I think the reason I feel like they fall flat is because they do compare to all of the other characters, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and with them being so predictable, um, you know, it, it could have been handled better. Well, the same thing with the whole, um, the relationship, and even the relationship she has with Nuada, like the fact that they've got this telepathic connection, I felt like that connection is just used as a way as a as a story crunch right it the only way the only reason it exists is so that he can find them and so she can she can kill herself at the end and kill him um but otherwise it's you know i would like to see a little bit more about that like maybe the fact that maybe she's a little bit more tempted to to listen to her to see things from her brother's point of view because of that connection or something like that well and i think with the whole telepathy thing that's such a trope to have mm. twins have telepathy you know that's that's a normal thing that that we hear all the time in sci-fi and fantasy right and you're right if they had done something with it where there was this mental warfare going on that could have been really interesting and that could have been really useful for the plot yeah and it's also used as a crutch to develop the relationship with a because it's kind of like oh we've touched each other i understand you now so we don't have to talk about it in the movie at all which is good for them but you know as the viewers we're not seeing that development so we're not as invested in this relationship because of that and so the relationship it 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 felt a little forced for me honestly right and i feel like they could have done something with that like you know they touch each other's hands and they understand who each other is so let's talk about how you understand each other you know let's let's dig into that a little bit more why do you understand each other why do you relate so much to each other and we don't get that yeah and also to the same point, like even though Hellboy and Liz, they've got, and even Manning, get a definite progression from the first movie, I feel like what Abe goes through here is a bit of a disconnect from the first movie because it's, you know, in the first movie, he seems like a a well-adjusted guy. He knows his place in the world. He knows what he's doing. And I felt like we didn't get enough about, and there are ways you can do that. There are ways you can say that, you know, okay, well, you know, he's been doing this for a while. He's getting you know, it, it's the same, he's getting tired of the same old stuff or, or something to, to kind of show why this relationship is so important to him. But as it stands, it just feels like they, it's important to him because the plot needs it to be important to him. Right. And I feel like they did imply it very subtly when he um, put it in the contact lenses and he was walking around without all of his gear on, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like that could relate to what Hellboy was going through and all of that but they it was silent it wasn't there was no 
talk about it. There was mm-hmm. there was nothing to show what was actually going on. You just have to infer that, which is fine, but then it it doesn't help the plot at all. Well, also to the to the point about him walking around without the the equipment. An issue I had with that was it made me wonder what's the point of the equipment because I thought the whole point was it's a breathing apparatus. So if right. you don't and there's no explanation, he just okay, I'm not going to wear it now and I'm like so why did you have it in the first place? Yeah. Um, when in the beginning, when uh, they're watching the TV and somebody says, is he wearing a toilet seat? Mm. And he says, no, it's a breathing apparatus and kind of says like he needs it. Mm. Okay, then why are you in the second half of the movie walking around without it? Yeah, yeah. So that that was some, I mean, at least you could have, and you could have gotten rid of that with like one line of dialogue or something like you know, like, you know, I'd been practicing, you know, to, or like it, it, I need it because it, it just makes, not that I, I can't breathe without it, but it just makes it easier or something like that. Right. Or even doing something where instead of having that whole ring around his neck, you just have a bubble on his gills, mm-hmm. you know, something that, that makes more sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, a, that was another issue with it. And uh what did you think of the the angel of death scene because even though i loved it you know when i watched it visually it's amazing like the way doug jones moves in that scene and just like the the design of the angel of death one of the things i one of the issues i had with it is and again this is not necessarily the movie's fault but it's more of the studio's fault because they they didn't pursue the third movie but one of the issues i have with it is it just kind of it sets up what is like this huge story point that just gets left unresolved then (laughs) yeah yeah again you know character design set design beautiful it's a great great looking scene Mm -hmm. but you're right it sets up something that you're just like okay is that going to be talked about later and you know unfortunately they never got a third movie so it will never be talked about but you're right it sets up something that we never get to have a payout on um and it's a beautiful scene but that's basically it yeah yeah um also too with uh you don't you know watching this movie made me think is i really want to see del toro do a steampunk movie because like all the the design of the 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 equipment the design of the the troll market the the golden army all of that it's just like you know why hasn't anybody made let this guy direct a steampunk movie yet that would be pretty great especially like with The Shape of Water, not a steampunk movie, but the look of the movie, mm-hmm. the, the atmosphere of the movie is, you know, it that could totally work in a steampunk, especially if you do fantasy characters the way that he does fantasy characters. Yeah. In a steampunk setting, that beautiful movie and probably a great movie. Yeah, yeah. And somebody get on that. <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure right? if Del, I mean, Del Toro probably doesn't need any career advice from me, but you know, uh, I would love to see that. Yeah, um, maybe he's listening. Yeah, maybe he is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, overall, it's it's a fun movie. Uh, I, I think I go back and forth between which one I like better based on what I watched last. Because when I first watched the when I first watched this movie, I'm like, oh, this is better than Hellboy. And then I saw Hellboy again. I'm like, Wait, no, Hellboy's better. And then I watched, and I'm like, and then you know, after the, I'm glad we had this discussion because it really kind of hit it for me. It's like, well. There is, they're both great, but they both do different things better. Right. And in that, I compare it to the two Guardians of the Galaxies film because um, for a lot of people, they say they like the first one better. And me, I'm like, well, you know, I like the story in the first one better, but I think I like the character work in the second one a lot better. 
And yeah. I, I do feel kind of the same way about this one. The story in the first one was much better. It had a much stronger villain. Um, but the character work, I think, in this movie is is done a little bit better. I got kind of got to give the edge to it on that aspect. Yeah, I would agree. They both have their better things that they do. Um, and, you know, for me, I think story takes precedent usually. Mm-hmm. Um, but the character work was really great in Hellboy 2. So it's it's hard to say which one is better, if either of them are better. I think one of the issues is that when you have that that disconnect where the opposite aspect is better in the sequel, it feels weird because you're expecting the other way. You're expecting to go the other way. So I think that right. I think that that's kind of a little disconnect with this movie. Because um, <clears throat> yeah, this was this always felt even though I like it, it always did feel a little bit weird for me, and I couldn't really put my finger on it until now. <clears throat> um. What else was I going to mention about it? Uh, yeah, I think that's um, pretty much everything I had to say about it. What about you? Anything else that we haven't talked about so far? No, I think I think we covered pretty much everything in this movie. Yeah, I think so. Um, overall, it, it's a good movie. Uh, it's It's a lot of fun different different from the first movie i think that's probably the best thing i could say about it is that it is it's the same characters but it's a different type of movie and i think that's an interesting i i, I like that way of doing the sequel of instead of just going back to what made the what made the first movie is just taking those aspects and trying to find something different to do with them yeah i would agree they're both great movies um they're just very different and that's a good thing uh, what did you think about them leaving the BPRD at the end? It was fine. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think you know, if it had a third movie, yeah, it would have paid off. But it was just kind of like, I get why they're doing it. And I get why they're frustrated with with the organization. But also, you know, it's fine. The, the movie's over. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Same thing. Um, it would have been nice to see a little bit more from that and where, where they're going with that, but yeah, it, it's good enough for, for what we get. Um, okay. Uh, Kay, any, any final things about uh, Hellboy 2? No, I think I'm good. Okay. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and tell people again where they can find you? Sure. You can find me on Instagram at Callus Casters, and you can listen to Callus Casters podcast, a podcast about superheroes, anywhere you find podcasts. Okay, great. And uh, as for us, we are at superherocinephiles.com is the website, uh, Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And remember, if you go to patreon.com uh, and you can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month, and you get, um, you get these episodes a week in advance, and you also get the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club podcast which uh, Kay's already been on as well to talk about the bounce. So you can get all access to all those episodes. Just go to patreon.com uh, slash super cinema pod, or you can also just get it straight from the superhero cinephiles.com uh, main site. Thanks so much for listening. And we will talk to you next time. If you enjoy the superhero cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the superhero cinephiles book club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? 
I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.